Y'all, I've got news. The great expansion of green jobs is really here. The variety of jobs you can do to help the planet is growing every day. But here's the bad news. Sustainability jobs are still held by an overwhelmingly white workforce. That's across all kinds of jobs, no matter the level of skill or experience. GreenBiz surveys professionals about sustainability roles. In their most recent report, they said, more than 80% of survey respondents are white, even though companies are more focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion than ever before. I know you already know that this is a huge and distressing problem. But if we're going to save the planet, it's a problem we need to address like right now. So today on the show, we talk about the lack of diversity in the planet-saving workforce with one man who's on a mission to fix it. Change is coming, oh yeah. Ain't no holding it back. Ain't no running. Change is coming, oh yeah. This is Degrees. Real talk about planet-saving careers from Environmental Defense Fund. I'm your host, Yesh Pavlik-Slink. For the better part of the last decade, it's been my job to help students use their talent and passion to get experience and jobs that serve the planet. I'm so excited to bring you my conversation with Wes Gobar. He's an environmental and racial justice advocate, writer, and organizer. This year, Grist named him one of the top 50 people shaping the future of the planet for his work co-founding Black Oak Collective. It's a career network growing green jobs for Black environmentalists and young professionals. Recently, they inked a partnership with Microsoft. They also work with historically Black colleges and universities to connect folks to internships and career opportunities. My favorite part about Black Oak Collective? They help members feel that they're not alone. And I think that's part of the idea behind Black Oak Collective is that you are not an island. There's tons of resources, experience, advice, and perspective to be able to draw upon. Black Oak Collective is Wes and his colleagues' effort to even the green careers playing field and boost the representation of Black communities in these jobs. This is crucial to ensure the future of climate justice. But before we get into the details of Black Oak's work, I want to take you back to when Wes was about to be a job seeker himself, entering his senior year at the University of Virginia. He was on track to be a historian and was the president of the Black Student Alliance. And then, on the night of August 11, 2017, while Wes was celebrating his brother's college graduation, something happened that would shake the campus and the entire nation to the core. At least one person is dead and several are injured tonight after protests and counter-protests turned violent. Just five years ago, you probably remember. Hundreds of white supremacists rallied at a park in Charlottesville, Virginia. Waving Confederate flags and chanting Nazi-era slogans. They were soon surrounded by counter-protesters with their own signs and chants. Shoving and fighting soon followed. Eventually, a white supremacist drove a car into a group of counter-protesters. One of them, Heather Heyer, was killed. Nineteen others were injured. Wes was organizing UVA students in the counter-protest. It was chaos. Being there and seeing um, them throwing uh, water bottles with sort of like makeshift tear gas at us and we're using our protest signs, you know, sort of back them off. And then that was really the moment 
where it sort of clicked in place for me that the moment kind of needs more, that I, I have more to offer, that I think that I want to get involved in the immediate term. So Wes wrote op-eds about, quote, fighting the deep roots of white supremacy in Charlottesville and at the University of Virginia that were published in Vox and the Washington Post. And he started thinking about a career in politics. That summer, he had interned on Capitol Hill with a Virginia congressman and worked with the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation. After graduating, he got a job as the executive aide to the Attorney General of Virginia, Mark Herring. The two traveled to community events all over the state. One issue that kept coming up over and over, the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. You know, whether it was driving through rural Virginia and you see large signs about how people don't want pipelines or showing up to an event in Richmond and, and folks coming up to us about it, or even managing his, you know, the email and the letters and seeing the volume of traffic about this issue. A pair of energy companies, Dominion and Duke Energy, wanted to build an $800 billion natural gas pipeline. It would run 600 miles through Virginia, West Virginia, and North Carolina. Virginia's then-governor, Ralph Northam, was a big fan, and federal regulators approved the energy company's use of eminent domain to take people's land for the pipeline. But the people living up and down the route, well, as you can imagine, they hated it, especially in one particular place. They were going to put a compressor station in a formerly emancipated community, a majority Black community now called Buckingham County, where that's the most toxic part of the pipeline, right? So you have all of the worst pollution from the gas pipelines going into specifically Black communities. For context, a compressor plant emits toxins like methane and nitrous oxides. One report compares the emissions of a single plant to 2,000 diesel school buses running 24-7. If that pipeline comes through, there's no telling what might happen to us. Our lives will probably be at danger. And it's, it's, it's just a shame because they're bringing it right through the Black neighborhood. And it's, it's not right. That woman, she lives in the small rural town of Union Hill in Buckingham County, Virginia. It was founded by formerly enslaved Africans after the Civil War. When Wes heard people in Buckingham County were so upset about the pipeline, his historian brain lit up. He studied the Reconstruction era, the post-Civil War period where the federal government tried and failed to revitalize the Southern economy. Enslaved people had been freed, but they were commonly blocked from education, jobs, and the right to vote. To Wes, what was happening in Buckingham County in 2018 felt a lot like the injustices of Reconstruction, which eventually led to redlining, segregated neighborhoods, and environmental injustice. If your community was redlined 80, you know, 90 years ago, uh, you now have higher energy bills, right? Your community is five degrees hotter, right? Uh, you are more likely to, to suffer first, you know, or be flooded in a, a, a climate disaster and then not get loans from the federal government. Or to have your land taken so an energy company could place an enormous natural gas compressor in your community. But even with a job with the attorney general, Wes didn't know what to do about it. I was sort of in this position where I was seeing all the operations of this huge 400-person office, going to all these official events, and feeling like I, I just didn't have much agency in these issues that I, I was starting to really develop an appreciation for. While he was learning about environmental justice issues for the first time, there was a movement gaining speed across the country that was about to sweep him up. 
a new national, social, industrial, and economic mobilization on a scale not seen since World War II and the New Deal era. That was happening for me around the same time that the Green New Deal just started to first get national attention. Green New Deal today, and now we need it because the planet is in crisis. When Wes started college, he planned on becoming a historian. Not anymore. After doing a lot of student activism in school and seeing a lot of what was happening just politically around, I, I just didn't want to wait for to go into academia, to get tenure, you know, write a book, someone to maybe read it, etc. You know, so on one side, I was seeing the disproportionate impacts, and the other, I was seeing sort of the, the possibility um, and the energy in the climate movement. And I wanted to see uh, myself and more people like myself in, you know, leading on the front lines of, of that movement. In January of 2020, Wes found a job working for an environmental policy group called Evergreen Action. He didn't actually know much about environmental policy when he started, but he couldn't wait to learn. As the organization evolved, so did Wes. So I was just did a little bit of everything from the start with Evergreen, right? You know, getting a lot of their administrative stuff and contracts in order and then to doing copy editing and research. And then as their deputy press secretary, I was, I was drafting a lot of their written materials and their, their tweets and, and press releases. And he started to write policy, a move that felt really significant. Evergreen was working on housing issues. In particular, Wes was researching two issues where racial justice and environmental problems intersected to create a lot of suffering. For, for example, we had a, a paper on housing retrofits and, and electrification, and I was doing a lot of research and writing and framing for that on racial justice and redlining and sacrifice zones and how a lot of those map up one-to-one, right? Sacrifice zones. They're neighborhoods where the air pollution is so bad that people living there have much higher rates of cancer than people who live just a mile or two away. Their lives are actually shorter. They're usually in communities of color and low-income neighborhoods. And here's the really awful thing. The EPA... Politicians, they all know it. After the break, you'll hear how everything Wes was learning at Evergreen Action motivated him to do something about that. Hey, listeners, greening your career is exciting, but it can also feel overwhelming. Where do you start? If I've learned anything from my degrees guests, it's this. Just take a single step. Do one thing. Need ideas for your one thing? Every episode of Degrees offers brilliant ways to take action on your green career, no matter the field, from renewable energy to religion, agriculture to activism. Listen to all of our previous episodes on your favorite podcast app today. Many people living in these sacrifice zones don't have a voice in the environmental movement. Working with Evergreen Action, Wes was getting more involved with the growing movement pushing for a green economy. Then he got a promotion to coalitions lead, which meant that he helped Evergreen partner with other environmental groups. And as he met more and more people in the field, he saw that there actually were powerful Black voices fighting for the planet. I looked around the movement. And I saw a lot of mentors and people who did look like me in 
I'm going to talk about the, the disparities in positions of leadership and in organizations and how much work we need to do. But the folks who are leading environmental justice work, who are Black people who are doing mainstream climate work, they are kicking ass. While Wes had great mentors and knew where to find resources, he didn't feel like most Black climate job seekers did. The only place he knew to share them was a college listserv. Friends of his were doing the same. We were sending around all these environmental jobs and we were like, hey, wait a minute. Like, we need to make sure these are getting to the right people and especially, you know, Black people getting these jobs. We are also in this moment where we've seen tons of Black people start their own organizations in since 2020 because, like, we're in a moment of racial reckoning and environmental justice reckoning, right? Tons of big green organizations were at the receiving end of that reckoning in 2020 and during, you know, Black Lives Matter. Big greens. Huge environmental nonprofits are getting most of the funding. Local grassroots organizations and environmental justice organizations have a much harder time finding funding. There's just such a disparity in funding. So like last year, donors sent $471 billion to nonprofits. Less than 2% went to environmental orgs. That 2% means that around $8 billion went to all environmental organizations. And of that 2%, environmental justice organizations received less than a half of a percent. That's terrible. It's, it is terrible. It's terrible. So, you know, I think a lot of folks have decided to start our own organizations and we actually want to um, advocate for a lot of the, the issues that are fe- directly affecting and disproportionately affecting Black communities and also fight for our own vision of like, well, what does liberation look like? What does liberation look like? For Wes, this is where Black Oak Collective came into play. By the fall of 2020, he and his co-founders, Miles Braxton and Sarah Nesbitt, had launched their Green Job Support Network by and for young Black professionals. And the Black Oak Collective is a rapidly growing networking organization, building a home for the many Black environmental communities across D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. We focus on mutual support, collaboration, resource sharing, and jobs and mentorship for, for Black people, doing a wide variety of environmental work. We consider ourselves kind of like a bridge, no matter which part of the movement that you're at. If you are fighting for that you know, vision yourself, or if you're looking to support people who are in you know, mainstream environmental organizations, or if you are in the solar industry um, and make sure that you know, Black and brown communities are at the center of that work. Black Oak puts on virtual panels with hiring managers, and they partner with employers like solar companies, the Virginia Conservation Network, and as I mentioned, with Microsoft. These partnerships give members direct connections to job opportunities. They also do direct student outreach at career fairs and host networking events in the D.C. area. About 30 people showed up to Black Oak Collective's first in-person event. Wes could feel the energy. He could feel that the community they hoped to build, it was already happening. Everyone else had the same realization of like, I wish that I had this um, earlier. People were also making connections at sort of a mile a minute. Oh, I work in here and we need to talk about these water issues. I'm, you know, at EPA or I'm at this you know, government sector. And I think a lot of the cross-sectoral conversations and also just people just uh, making new connections, like while they're in person, as well as the joy they're getting from being around um, like other Black environmental professionals and advocates and organizers and students. And that has been really fulfilling to be able to see that um, in person. And a huge hole they're starting to fill is networking, which is, as you know, so critical for standing out among a stack of applicants. Trust me on this one. I manage a global professional network in the sustainability field, which in many ways still feels like a really small world. It is what you know, but it's also who you know. The most important thing for me is relationship building, because um, 
that's how I've gotten most of my jobs is through relationships and not just sort of being able to apply somewhere cold. This is especially true for things like internships on Capitol Hill, which are often crucial for a career in politics or policy. Wes says that he was not only lucky just to get an internship on Capitol Hill with the Congressional Black Caucus, but that they also provided a stipend and housing. Many internships pay nothing and few offer housing. And the reality is, it's just so hard to even get an unpaid internship without being well-connected, unless you have a family member or a friend who can pull strings for you. So if you don't know anyone who can put in a good word for you, and if you can't afford to work an unpaid internship, what are you to do? This cold reality closes the door for so many who could be the next superstar because they can't get the experience that they need. This is especially true for people of color trying to enter many of these white-dominated fields. That's why Black Oak opening up access to support and information about internships and jobs and networking is so important in securing a just transition to the green economy that we need to tackle climate change. One of the most important things Black Oak Collective provides is community. That might sound simple, but it's not. Wes says that it's one thing to help people of color get green jobs. It's another to get them to stay. Retention is a big piece of this, right? If you're just kind of alone, you know, again, you're that island and you feel like you have that all that pressure on you and you don't have that outside community, um, people are going to continue to cycle in and out of environmental work. We see people going to... Um, toxic work environment sometimes, or going into other work environments when they're not prepared, and then completely cycling out of just the environmental movement as a whole. And these are people that we really need their work and their genius and their time and their effort, but they get turned off. We talked with a Black Oak Collective member who said just that. Her name is Jasmine Gill. We caught up with her on Zoom. Jasmine joined Black Oak after going to college with one of Wes's co-founders, Sarah Nesbitt. When she first heard about the new group, she was thrilled. This is something that's so needed. Me and Sarah connected a lot because her and I are two Black women in the environmental space from South Carolina. And that is extremely rare. And the environmental movement, the the default has been white for a very long, for a very long time. And so that was no exception to my last job. There were so many things, so so many last straw moments that I had um, with that job. This job was one Jasmine took right out of college. She had her sights set on law school, but needed to work first. So she took a job with a conservation group in South Carolina. After working there for four years, she applied for a promotion. She didn't get it. That was a blow. And then came, as Jasmine says, the final straw. Even though she didn't get the promotion, she was expected to directly help the new hire to do the job. HR told her, And we think she could really benefit from your knowledge. And it was, it was like mind-blowing to me that it was expected of me to give someone else my resources and knowledge that I had accumulated and that I had earned and be expected to stay within this box. And I knew from that moment, like in many other moments, that that was not the place for me. Jasmine wanted to grow in her career, not be boxed into a role of an assistant forever. She knew she needed to leave, 
but what would be next? Jasmine was terrified. Thankfully, Sarah at Black Oak Collective was ready to help. And when I had finally had my final moment of this is it, I can no longer do this, she was ready, you know, to stand in to say, let's get you where you need to be. What do you want for your career in the future? Where do you see yourself, you know, in this movement? And how can Black Oak help support you in getting there? Black Oak Collective jumped in to help Jasmine figure out that she wanted to work in policy and she wanted to help tell stories of people directly affected by climate change and pollution. Her new job search took two years and Jasmine almost gave up. After her last job, she had no self-confidence. Maybe environmental work isn't for me, she thought. But Sarah pushed Jasmine to apply for jobs she never would have dared to on her own. And that push made all the difference. I'm happy to report that Jasmine has been working for a year at Climate Power, an environmental policy organization. She manages their storytelling campaigns. And now that I look back on it, I think about how pivotal that was for me because I was really in a poor mental space. And had it not been for that sort of support, I definitely would not be here. I always give credit where credit is due. And they deserve all the credit for being that sort of resource. It really feels like a best friend that's carrying you um, through this huge hurdle. And so had I not um, had that connection to Sarah and had that connection to Black Oak to make me realize You deserve to be in this space. This is a poor work experience and we're gonna help you find a better one where you can truly embrace the passions that you care about and also grow and thrive and actually enjoy your work. (laughs) Had it not been for them advocating for that and pushing me to continue to be in this space, I don't think I would have continued being in the climate movement. As Black Gold Collective connects job seekers to resources and opportunities, they're able to keep a pulse on green jobs that are here and coming around the corner. So I asked Wes to look into his green jobs crystal ball. What's one job that doesn't exist now, but that we need? Um, Maybe it won't exist for five years or 10 years. It could even be wacky and kind of out there. I I have like three answers. So I'll just, (laughs) but like, (laughs) bring it on. The most immediate would be a civilian climate Corps, And this is regardless, you know, of, whether you are of different documentation status, if you are formerly incarcerated, you know, and these are pathways to real union careers. This is putting people to work um, on sustainable agriculture and greening their communities, on building out um, solar and clean energy, on um, doing environmental restoration, the parts of the clean energy economy that exist now and need more work. Wes also sees a huge change in food and agriculture careers, which make up nearly a quarter of all emissions. Sources say we only have 50 to 60 years of topsoil left. So we're going to need to put a lot more people in hydroponics and aeroponics and like agrovoltaics, right? You can grow food without soil and you can also grow food right alongside solar panels in soil. So like growing with water and growing with air um, and it's not just sort of like being on the ground, picking it robotics and programming. That's going to be super important. And there's kind of a role for everyone in that because there's like 
comms and marketing jobs, et cetera. I mean, farmers are just going to look so different for my kids. Uh, when they think of a farmer, they're not going to think of old McDonald. It's amazing how fast that space is changing. Another thing is that fossil fuels have not only invaded our lungs, but also our bloodstream uh, through plastic and then it's like literally killing us. We probably need more doctors actually to help people mitigate a lot of the impacts of the um, environmental injustices in the fossil fuel economy on actual health. I love it. I, I love the creativity, but the creativity that, and it sounds a little wacky, it, it's truly rooted in reality. And I think we will come to know these jobs and our, our listeners should be prepared for these jobs in the very near future. One hot Sunday in the summer of 2020, the environmental community had a victory, one they never expected. Dominion and Duke Energy pulled the plug on the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. The company said a string of legal challenges by protesters made the project too costly and uncertain. An unusual coalition of groups not normally on the same side of an issue, all protesting the pipeline. Perhaps the most vocal, the most effective opponents? Protesters from Union Hill, according to the Environmental and Climate Justice Chair of the NAACP. That victory proved both the power and the necessity of everything West Gobar and Black Oak Collective are working for, diversifying the environmental workforce and bringing together people fighting for racial justice with those who are fighting for the environment. Now it's time for Ask Yesh, where I help you with your biggest green career challenges. If you have a question, write to me on Twitter. My handle is Yesh Says. And use the hashtag Ask Yesh. And if you forget this, it's in our show notes. I recently heard from a listener who has a job but doesn't know how to advance in their career. Here's what they wrote. Is grad school essential to advancing in my sustainability career? This is a big question, no matter what field you're in. And I love that this listener is thinking this way because no matter what, the sustainability workforce needs to keep leveling up. One thing I know for sure is that to tackle this crisis, we need to adopt a growth and learning mindset because the challenges ahead of us are going to change and we're going to need to keep meeting the moment. Back to the question, to go to grad school or to not go to grad school? First of all, let's acknowledge that going to grad school is a big time commitment and a big investment. There are a lot of benefits to going to grad school above and beyond studying, including the gap that Wes and his co-founders are filling, building a professional network. If you have the time and the money, yes, I think grad school is worth it. But is it essential to advance? Absolutely not. There are loads of ways to build your sustainability skill set and network. Sustainability certificate programs are a great way to go. Less time commitment, less expensive, and are often geared toward people who are also working. Alternatively, or in concert, you could join organizations like ISSP, which is the International Society of Sustainability Professionals, where you can level up your skills through their virtual trainings and connect with their global network members. If you're in a big city, you'll definitely find organizations that offer continuing education and networking. In Chicago, we have several, like the Illinois Green Alliance. I know, I'm giving you that annoying answer, which isn't really decisive. What I'm saying is that there isn't a right way, and I've seen people succeed on both paths. And to let you know, since I first talked with Wes, he actually left his job at Evergreen Action, the policy group, to start grad school this fall at Yale School of the Environment. 
He had considered going to law school. Luckily, some mentors asked him, are you sure you're ready? I am so, so glad that Wes had some mentors in his life telling him to wait. I 100% agree. Folks should spend time in the workforce before going to grad school. I went straight from undergrad to grad school in nonprofit management, and while I loved it and I learned a lot, I've often reflected that I didn't absorb its full value because I didn't yet have any real experience in the working world. I love answering questions like these, so please do write me on Twitter. My handle again is Yesh Says. And that's all for this episode of Degrees. Make sure to listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. And share this podcast with a friend so you can both tune in each week and hear how you and your communities can collectively help fight climate change and learn where the jobs are and how you can make a difference. On the next episode of Degrees, what about the wildfires? I talk with Forest Service fire ecologist Frank Kanawa Lake about the changes we need in land management to help prevent devastating wildfires. He's bringing indigenous fire practices to the Forest Service after they were banned for over 100 years. Until then, check out our Green Jobs Hub to find all the resources to jumpstart your green job career search. Degrees is presented by Environmental Defense Fund. Amy Morse is our producer. Podcast Allies is our production company. Tressa Versteg and Elaine Grant worked on this episode. Rye Taylor is our audio engineer. Our theme music is the song Shame, Shame, Shame by Lake Street Dive. And I'm your host, Yesh Pavlik Slink. But the foundation of the show, folks, is you. Stay fired up, y'all. Change is coming, oh yeah. Ain't no holding it back. Ain't no running. Change is coming, oh yeah. And that's all for this episode of Degrees. Make sure to listen and follow on... Oh, wait. I am starting at the bottom. All right. <laughs> ba-doo, ba-doo, ba-doo. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> we have fun.